you doing? Wait, Laura's not here? It's just me? I've already done this joke? Uh, hello, uh, listeners. So, uh, as we mentioned two episodes ago, uh, once Laura has the baby, we are planning for three months, three episodes of content where Laura is on uh, an unpaid maternity leave. Not unpaid because we don't believe in equality of gender treatment. Uh, in fact, we believe in equality because I am also unpaid. So it just, you know, it all works out. But um, th- we, we have planned for three months of, of content uh, where it is my job to A, keep you informed as to how we doing, B, entertain Laura by humiliating myself. We'll come back to that, but you might already know what we're talking about. Uh, and C, uh, for me to really just try my darndest to coax interesting update information in a time where nothing interesting is happening to the people staying inside. Lots of interesting things are happening outside, but uh, I feel like those things are either too stressful, inflammatory, controversial, or just straight up weird to be talking about here. So after 90 seconds of chit-chatting here, uh, I've explained stuff that you already know (laughs) because... Uh, well, I mean, obviously Laura has embarked upon the journey of, of, of trying to foster the development of an entire human, and, you know, I guess it's not too much to ask that I, uh, I chat to the handful of people, uh, listening to fulfill our obligations, uh, and I don't mean to sound disappointed about it, I am, I am simply nervous that, gulp, I am not enough. I know Laura's the reason you guys tune in, so thank you for sticking with us. Uh, she will be back as soon as I can coerce her into returning. Um, so I guess uh, kind of same as last month. What I want to do is well, let, let me let me follow up on a few things from last month first. So last month was obviously uh, right around when a, a baby happened. Uh, premature baby uh, was in. Uh, the hospital for a bit because that's what happens with premature babies and uh, so obviously Laura was in no state to record an episode and now caring for a newborn still not something I'd want to put her through um, but the the interesting thing that the one interesting thing that happened is um, obviously I've known she's pregnant for some time there's evidence you can s- scroll back in the feed here like I knew this uh the premature thing obviously caught people off guard. That's you know, as premature babies typically do. But um, uh, I think what I mentioned was I found out about it on Instagram, which is weird for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, Laura doesn't post a lot on social media. She's not very active on it. Um, so that just the fact that there was information to be learned there was strained. Um, but also weird because... She and I text all day, every day. We used Game Pigeon on iOS, a little app that we use to um, uh, to play games back and forth. We constantly have one running. The day that the baby happened, the day the baby was born, entered this world, little baby banana, as she was called, um, she, uh, Laura, and I were sending each other games. We were playing pool. Actually, we were in the middle of a game of mini golf, and then she gave birth, and then the next morning we kept playing mini golf. And like without Instagram, I never would have understood. Like she took a while to take that turn. Is she having a nap? Did she eat a a big old meal? Is she watching a Lord of the Rings marathon? Uh, no, gave birth to a human. Um, and uh, and one of our listeners and and friends, uh, Rachel, she. Uh, she um, commented, what's a list of maybe the worst things to find out via Instagram? And just, I mean, also with the hashtag make Colin do more work. So <laughs> thank, thanks for that. But um, but I, I thought it was a little intriguing. I don't have a, a, a lot of things on the list because, again, Laura doesn't do a whole ton on Instagram. I have been trying to post more to this podcast's Instagram. I mostly just locked down the account so that we could, but... In Laura's absence, I've been trying to post things from uh, from our friendship to fill the void 
uh, and that is housepod, H-O-W-S-P-O-D, on Instagram if you want to see some of it. Um, but Rachel commented on that, uh, asking what some other things were, and I don't use Instagram a whole lot. I use it more for my podcast than I do for myself, unless I'm posting pictures of my kitty cats. Um, but it got me thinking about the fact that um, without us recording with each other, there have been a couple communications breakdowns. And some of them are my fault, and some of them are her fault. So if I had to give you a top three list of worst things to find out via Instagram, uh, I guess the first one, uh, number three, is going to be that your best friend had a surprise baby. Um, you might think that'd be number one that's a big deal, but I've had a month. It may not seem like it, but I've calmed down. I've gotten over it. Uh, if we have to post number two, uh, my obligation that I've made to try to fill some of the content void by once or twice a week posting some stuff from our friendship, um, I imagine that Laura must not be thrilled to find out number two, which is your friend is posting screenshots of your texts without asking. <laughs> so to fill the content void because we're mostly texting, I'm just like, huh, that's funny, screenshot post. Um, I asked her about it vaguely a while ago, like, are you okay if I do this once in a while? And she said, sure. But I, I don't know. I kind of just realized that I should be more proactive in getting consent for these things. They're all innocuous, just kind of funny interactions. Like, during a game, she said, I really need you to shit the bed here. And that was just funny out of context. But um, I imagine if we're talking bad things to find out via Instagram, that has a lot more implications than surprise baby uh, in terms of privacy and mutual respect. So I guess I apologize. I apologize. I don't guess I apologize. I apologize. And I need to be more proactive <laughs> in involving you in those decisions, except for the fact that I think you don't care. I don't know. Well, listeners, I'll let you know if that's a real cause for beef next month. Ooh, cause for beef. I would watch that movie. Now, number one on the list of worst things to find out via Instagram, this one might not make the maybe shouldn't make the list on a technicality because I screwed something up here, but um, basically I forgot to post this, and I feel like the time has passed in terms of appropriateness for posting it. But um, <clears throat> I think that one of the worst things to find out on Instagram would be that you forgot your friend's birthday. Um, Laura and I have celebrated my birthday before, and I don't make a big deal about it, but I did observe, I did observe that it came and went unceremoniously, which is the way I like it. But I think that Here's the thing. She would have found out from Instagram if I posted it for I Forgot. So I guess even though this makes number one on the list, we're going to have to settle for finding out you forgot your friend's birthday uh, via the podcast you do with that friend. Um, so maybe the guilt of this, if there is any, will offset the guilt I should feel for uh, for posting our screenshots, screenshotted text messages out of context. But... Um, since we, even though we don't interact on Instagram a lot, I was like, yeah, this is actually a pretty good exercise in figuring out uh, how communication is affected when both people are cooped up inside, but neither of them, you can't FaceTime anymore. So I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, depending on the next month, I might have a longer list for you next time. But yeah, number three, surprise baby. Number two, uh, screenshots of text without permission. Number one, forgetting your friend's ding dang birthday i know when your birthday is laura don't fuck with me anyway so if we want to get to actual updates from laura uh obviously premature baby in the hospital for a bit uh at some point over the last month uh she was brought home she is safe and sound and healthy and doing real well um since i do not deign to speak for laura uh, and I am not smart enough to fill a lot of this time with interesting content. I tried to ask her, uh, what, like, what's the most memorable stuff that's happened since the baby came home? I want to share this. This podcast is about us as friends. So, like, share with me what you've been experiencing. Didn't go well because she couldn't, there were no, no most memorable moments. I know a lot of people in, who are quarantining right now. Uh, you know, the passage of time really sort of breaks down and you don't understand the days. You just understand levels of brightness and everything is just a muddle. But still, 
first baby, there there were no most memorable moments, no best moments, no worst moments. All she could say, and it's kind of endearing, but all she could say was, she poops all the time, and she's very cute. So I tried to get you more than that. I couldn't. I failed. But, uh, but yeah, uh, I guess maybe it's not a huge deal Laura's not here because um, there wouldn't be a lot to say. That's all I could get out of her. The baby is home safe and sound, which is wonderful. But she is a, quote, literal poop machine, um, which if I am in this child's life, I will never let them forget that this is like the first descriptor uh, her mother ever gave her. Uh, but she is a literal poop machine, baby banana the poop machine, and it's all cuteness and poop, and that's it. Um, uh, beyond that, she did get me, if we're uh, to maybe pivot into some stuff that she and I have been sharing, um, she she did get me to start watching a show called Taskmaster, which is a, a British comedy game show on YouTube, and I, um, uh, I've been alone for the last day or two as Rebecca is uh, hanging out with her family and stuff. They're probably having big sneezing parties, and I'm going to get infected. But um, I have been watching a lot of Taskmaster. I need to watch Outlander because I started that, and I have to get back into it. But um, Laura got me watching that, and it's been it's been fun to bond over a game show and the contestants. It's just, you know, British people with British comedy, deadpan, dry humor, which I love. And they're all making fun of each other, doing stupid chores and tasks. Um I mean, so that's something I definitely recommend to listeners. It's all on YouTube at this point. Uh, they, they've started posting it in the United States here on YouTube. But um, that's actually been maybe the biggest gift she's given to me over the last month is uh, I was like, I don't want to watch this. This seems dumb. And I watched it, and I was like, this is dumb, but I like it. So thank you, Laura, for still providing me with joy and entertainment uh, in your uh, de facto absence. Uh, but we also, and I'm going to be getting some comments on her for next month's episode, uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, the animated comedy series from Mike McMahon, one of the producers of Rick and Morty and uh, Solar Opposites, both great shows. Um, Star Trek Lower Decks is coming out this week, coming out in like three or four days after this episode. And I'm pretty excited. It looks very funny. And Laura and I always talk about Star Trek stuff, so I will be getting comments from her, uh, and we're going to get her opinion. Because, again, we have at least one more episode where it's going to be just me. I'm so sorry. And uh, I want to make sure that we don't slack on the stuff that really matters to our friendship, which is Star Trek. Uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on the podcast, but that was like early days because Laura and I knew each other for two years before we started hanging out because I'm awful. And uh, we were at work one time and I just walked in the break room and she was watching like an early season four episode of Voyager. And I was like, okay, it's Star Trek. Good. It's Voyager. I can work with this. So it's been pretty cornerstone. Uh, to our friendship the entire time. Also, Star Trek Discovery Season 3 is going to be coming out right after this, so we are going to have weeks and weeks and weeks, 23 weeks of Star Trek conversation uh, to share with you. Once again, I am so sorry. But actually, uh, if we want to talk a little bit about my news, is um, the uh, I uh, got a tit job. <laughs> that was stupid. I should cut that out. I hate myself. So, uh, Star Trek Lower Decks... Um, the, the segue makes sense. I promise from lower decks to tit job. (laughs) Oh God. It's so sad when it's just me laughing. This is dumb. I hate this. (laughs) Oh, it's just recursive shame laughing. So, um, the studio that, uh, did a lot of the animation for Star Trek lower decks is called, um, Titmouse, Titmouse Incorporated, an animation studio. They've done work for a lot of different things, including uh, uh, Venture Brothers and uh, some other show. I didn't pull up a list, but it's 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 a ton of shows. And uh, I have a friend of mine who works there and was like, "Hey, since everyone's doing everything remotely, you just throw your hat in the ring for some stuff." And I I uh, I'm actually now doing some freelance audio work for them which is super cool. So finally, at long last, I can say that 
I am a professional audio editor and not a hobbyist audio editor. I can put it on my resume. I work for an Emmy award-winning studio. I have done no Emmy award-winning work. I, I have no connection to the folks that did Star Trek Lower Decks. But it is a cool connection, and I'm very, very, very excited and very proud and very thankful um, for, uh, for, getting, for getting this gig and being able to work on it. Uh, and and make these connections, get this experience, like doing stuff I haven't done before, and it is it is super cool. So I've been gushing to Laura about that. And uh, about ten minutes ago, I realized I could say I got a tit job, and it's just the stupidest, stupidest thing to say I got a job at Tit Mouse. Uh, dumbest way I could say it. Um, other than that, I guess the big thing would be the birthdays. Rebecca and I have both had our birthdays in the past month, as you may have gotten from my passive-aggressive placement um, of that on the top of the worst things to find out list. Um, but we, uh, I guess, oh, this shouldn't be, this kind of sad that this is like next to the Titmouse job, maybe the second biggest thing this month. Uh, I have a, my, my mom, when I grew up, she would make us ice cream cakes, and the method of making them is something I've carried forward. Um, and uh, Laura could never eat one because of her diabetes. And, and, um, hmm. So most cake is light and fluffy. Most ice cream cake is light and tasty. Uh, I like to make enormous 10,000 calorie bricks that you put chocolate on, um, and made one for Rebecca's birthday, made one for my birthday. So we've made two gigantic, dense ice cream cakes this month. And for listeners, if you want to make this, it's very easy. It's very mix and match. The method is very simple. You take a cookie and you crush it up. That's your bottom layer. Fill the pan so you can't see the bottom. Take some melted ice cream of your flavor. Put like half inch, inch on top of that, depending on how much you want. Put it in the freezer for an hour. Another layer of cookie, candy bits, whatever you want in there. Another layer of ice cream, and on the top you put whatever you want. So we made one uh, where it was like Oreo, chocolate, peanut butter, ice cream, Oreo, chocolate, peanut butter, ice cream, and there was like uh, chopped up Reese's and bunch of crunch all through it. It was amazing. And then the second one, there's still some in my freezer. There was a layer of Oreo, uh, chocolate, like double chocolate chip cookie dough, and then layer of Oreo, double chocolate chip cookie dough, but with like chopped up Twix and caramel and and shell and everything and more bunch of crunch um so there's lots of ways to do it in my life i've had it with like you know chocolate chip cookies uh and a bunch of different things like that but uh honestly the oreo the oreo god oh wherefore art thou oreos you make it so good it 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 is um very unhealthy but that has been Maybe the other biggest thing that I've been doing. And I would love to talk to Laura about that because she's been so important in my food journeys. Uh, so if she has any comments on this cake monstrosity, uh, I'll be sure to share those with you. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, I guess that's that's what I've got in terms of updates for how we doing. Because this show is about how we doing. Um, but now we pivot to the source of my humiliation which is um, my quarantine project, the writing of a Silmarillion film trilogy, an adaptation of the Silmarillion and related texts into a trilogy of films that could fit neatly in the Pantheon alongside uh, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogies. Um, I've, I've mentioned that uh that that this first film <clears throat> so this first film is called the war of the jewels uh which is not the name of the story it is directly adapting but it's it's a, it is a name out there that i really like and uh while i'm not reading the entire scripts because one that'd be incredibly long and boring and you'd hate it but two if i ever get to do anything with these scripts i don't want to have already published all of them <laughs> um but I've uh, I've completed a a third draft of the War of the Jewels um, since our last recording, my last recording. Um, things that I think really tie a lot of the characters together. Uh, last month you heard the prologue, which was essentially Elrond voicing over the creation myth of this world. Well, the creation truth, more or less, of 
the spirits coming down to Earth, the elves waking up, and the big bad guy Morgoth stealing their jewels and then waging war on them from the north. Uh, what I'm going to read next is going to be a little bit longer, uh, but it's going to get us actually into the real plot of the movie, like the core conflict. Uh, and it's going to introduce our main characters and some of their relationships. It is, um, this is Act 1. I'm writing these films in like a, a five-act structure each. Um, I also, yeah, because um, after this I need to go through and revise the second film and maybe the third, the third, ugh, that third one took me, a, that was a fucking monster of a movie uh, to write. And I say this like some fucking <laughs> things that were going to come of it. But um, but I think that the War of the Jewels of the three, it's it's a lot more, it's very swashbuckling. It's very fun. It's very goofy. It's like a fairy tale, but with, I think, much more grounded decision making and relationships. Um and I think the interesting thing that the Silmarillion explores uh, is the different philosophies behind elves who are immortal and men who are mortal. And um, the relationship between our two main characters is really meant to elucidate that, to flesh that out. The relationship between them, I sort of wanted it to be emblematic of those differences. Because while the book, The Silmarillion, has a ton of interesting information— uh, that I don't think it's super fun to read as a story. Uh, so I kept asking myself, how do I take these interesting pieces of information and show them through the stories within? Uh, so instead of putting the focus on the big world, put the focus on the characters and let them explain the big world through their thoughts and actions. It seems pretty obvious, maybe, but um, but that's sort of what I'm shooting for. Uh, so I guess I'm just going to jump right in. Here is Act 1 of my proposed script for, well, third draft of the script for The Silmarillion, The War of the Jewels. 1. Exterior, Angfauglith, Day. Hold on, I gotta move my microphone around. <clears throat> the War of the Jewels. Exterior, Enfoglith, day. The Enfoglith is, uh, for those of you who don't recall, it is the desert outside of Angban. Baron, early 20s, dark skin, black hair, battles on the hillside. An orc jumps onto him with a knife. Baron yelps. They wrestle. Two gleaming blades cut through the orc's neck like butter. The corpse falls on Baron. Barahir, his father, reaches down to help him up. Next to him, Finrod, he's one of the elves from last time, one of the elves from Valinor, uh, Finrod cleans his sword of black blood. Barahir says, Are you all right, my boy? Ooh, I never figured out a voice for Barahir. This is going to be interesting. Are you all right, my boy? Baron nods. Finrod says, It's no wonder you're kind of short-lived when you're always in such a hurry to die. Why be immortal if you're just going to lose the whole time? We're here to win. Barahir claps Baron on the shoulder and walks away. Finrod smirks and says to Baron, I will never understand men. Finrod and Barahir lead the army, charging uphill towards Thangorodrim. That's the mountains. Fingolfin's army, he's another elf, Fingolfin's army approaches from the west. I think he's, I think he's Finrod's uncle. Yeah, he's Finrod's uncle. So Fingolfin's army approaches from the west. Finrod says, Fingolfin, what tidings from the western front? Morgoth's armies have taken Minas Tirith. It's not the same Minas Tirith, don't worry. Orcs remain bastioned along the valleys. We few survived on horseback. We have penetrated the eastern flank. Some losses, but we remain strong, Baron says. Father, look! The orcs are retreating! Orcs and trolls run down the opposite side of the hill along the mountainside. Barahir cheers. So does his army. Good eye, Baron! Perhaps the men of Bayor have finally turned the boom! The mountain wall explodes. Lava pours out, scattering Barahir's army down the hills. Distantly, more explosions, more lava. Gothmog, the chief Balrog, and Glaurung, father of dragons, flood the field with more troops. Finrod and Baron are driven back with the army. Barahir and Fingolfin are trapped between Angband and the lava. Baron says, Father! Finrod says, Baron, the siege is broken, we must run! Finrod retreats. 
Baron spots his father through the heat, but runs when Glaurung descends the mountain toward him. On the other side of the lava, Fingolfin and Barahir help each other up. There's a small group of soldiers with them. Fingolson, uh, Fingolfin says, he doesn't burp, sorry. Fingolfin says, what hell has Morgoth wrought now? Fingolfin, we are cut off from the Amphoglith. We must go north. Into Angband. Let none say that Barahir the Bold isn't simply reckless. It is not reckless if we have no choice. Fingolfin summons his horses. They all mount up. If we are to die today, it shall be at great cost to the enemy. They speed north, evading trolls and killing orcs. Cut to exterior, Angban Day. So now, like, right by the mountains. They approach Angban's enormous iron gate. The ground shakes. Their horses buck and whinny. Uh, buck and whinny. Uh, Morgoth, remember, he's like 20 feet tall, jet black, Silmarillion crown, big hammer named Grand, all that fun stuff. Morgoth slowly steps out of the gates, his face always obscured or out of frame. Are you sure this isn't reckless? Better to face Morgoth himself than sniveling orc filth. They glance at each other. Barry here laughs with excitement. Morgoth turns and begins stomping toward them. I would not call it better. Morgoth swings his hammer, making craters in the dirt. One strike knocks Barahir and Fingolfin off their horses and sends them flying across the field. Barahir grunts, struggling to get up. Do you think that 400 years was enough time to build his armies? Fingolfin ignores him. They sprint at Morgoth, weaving between his feet, but landing no strikes. The hammer comes down at Fingolfin, but uh, Barahir shoves him aside and is thrown far away by the blow. Fingolfin rages. Barahir, like, is weakly saying, he's like, <clears throat> oh, Perhaps I would have preferred orc filth. Fingolfin somersaults past Morgoth's attacks and finally slashes his ankle. Black blood steams and oozes out, burning the ground. Morgoth howls in pain. Uh, cut uh, the um, exterior Angfaugleth day, so back in the desert. Retreating, Baron hears Morgoth's screams. He turns to look, but Angband is too far to see. He is astonished. Finrod sees him stopped and runs toward him. Baron, what are you doing? Did you hear that? That's pain. They've hurt him. Finrod, we have a chance. Glaurung roars and leaps over the hill. His long golden body slithers after the army. We must run now! Finrod drags Baron with him, running alongside the wingless dragon. Baron can't help but look back. Uh, exterior, Angband. Fingolfin angrily slashes Morgoth's ankle six more times. Furious, Morgoth strikes him directly, killing him. Morgoth yells and limps back to Angband. Barahir weakly says, No! Wide, the battlefield empties. Orcs and trolls drive away elves and men. Rivers of lava flow out of Angband and over the Angfauglith. Push in. On the ground, Barahir groans, struggling to pull an ornate ring off of his finger. Call us reckless. Barahir coughs, removes the ring, and looks at it closely. But today, the Dark Lord bleeds. Barahir smiles and dies. His hand goes limp, with the ring resting in his palm. Match cut to the ring uh, exterior, Woods Day. The ring hangs on a metal chain, dangling over an orc's neck. He marches through the woods with two others. It weren't that simple. First we took out the guards... No, you didn't. They was just a women's and men's and children's. You saying I'm a liar? He's saying you couldn't take on one man, let alone a bunch of guards. Too puny and stupid. Then how did I get all these fancy wares, eh? Old women's don't carry elf rings, do they? It depends on the women's. And the elves. Orc number one throws his satchel on the ground, indignant. I won't be out hunting with pansies that call me a liar. Whiz, an arrow pierces his head and sticks into the tree behind him. The others yelp and draw their weapons, but are quickly killed by another arrow and a throwing knife from the bushes. They lay dead in the trees for a moment, before Baron, years older and much dirtier, emerges. Now I can call you anything I want. He loots their bodies, reclaiming arrows, and he takes uh, belt clasps. He takes their belt clasps. He loots their bodies. He reclaims arrows and takes their belt clasps, piercing them on his own placing them on his own belt next to many others. He spots Barahir's ring on orc number one. He reaches for it slowly. At last. Baron kisses the ring and puts it on, nearly overcome with emotion. His ears perk up at a rustling noise. 
He turns around to spot two rabbits. Carefully, he looks into his pack to see nearly no food. He slowly draws two arrows and hits them both. He is proud, but sad. If only I could eat them instead. He gestures at the orcs, then steps over to the rabbits. He picks them up. They are very small. He sighs, gathers his things, puts up his hood, and walks briskly into the woods. Exterior, wooded hillside afternoon. Baron hikes up a hill in the woods. Sunlight pokes through the trees. Exterior, Dorlomin, sunset. Baron reaches the top of a wooded hill. To the north, swaths of burnt trees and Thangorodrim on the horizon. To the south, a sprawling forest with several big hills. He makes camp. Exterior, Dorlomin, evening. In his camp, Baron eats, sighs, leans back, and examines his ring. All right, what's next? Several silent moments pass. A sweet, distant melody begins playing. Puzzled, he looks around. He douses the fire, gathers his things, and leaves to investigate. Exterior, woods, night. Baron walks stealthily through the woods. The music grows louder. A lute plays. Dim blue light pokes through the brush. He hides behind a tree and peeks out. A dozen woodland elves sing and dance elegantly between blue lamps. How far south have I wandered? Baron enjoys watching them for several moments. Luthien, a small, lithe, black-haired maiden, dances at the center of the group. Daron, the lutist, watches her closely. Baron smiles and turns away. Are you leaving already? Baron is startled. He turns around, trying to stay hidden. You know elves can see in the dark. We thought you would join us. Baron slowly steps out of the brush, embarrassed. The elves do not stop playing or dancing. <clears throat> Your music is lovely, and it, uh, it carries a long way, Luthien says. Daron is the finest lutist in Doriath. Baron looks surprised to learn where he is. Doriath? Are you lost in the woods? Tracking orcs seems to have uh, turned me around. Our dancing has done the same. Uh, that random elf and Luthien twirl around Baron. They laugh in a practiced, high-class tone. Baron doesn't laugh, but he follows them and sits. I am Baron, son of Barahir. Hail Baron! I am Daron, chief player for King Thingol of Doriath. Uh, Baron is impressed. What is the court of an elf king doing this far out in the woods? Luthien ignores the question. That ring is of elf make, isn't it? Surprised, Baron looks down at the ring. He nods. It belonged to my father. Your father is an elf? No, no, he wasn't. Dairon's song ends. They stop dancing and applaud him. He plays a new song, and some of the sitting elves stand to dance. Luthien sits next to Baron. Isn't it just as strange to find a man wearing elven jewelry as it is a king's court wandering in the woods? Yes, I grant you, but... Oh, do relax. There are no orcs here. Enjoy our music and company. I'm merely curious. Dayran eyes them cautiously. You know much about me, though I've hardly said a word. You would expect less from the daughter of the king? I, have, have I walked into the company of an elf princess covered in dirt and orc blood? You make a, a, a bold impression, even for a man. As Baron laughs and finally begins to relax, his natural charm shows. Please pretend that I'm charming as I read this. Hide praise from an elf princess. So where is the next orc pack on your hunt? Baron eyes his ring. You know, I think I've, um... I've killed them all. You've killed every orc. Every last one. They're all dead. My hands. Luthien laughs. We could use a soldier like you and Menegroth. <laughs> I am in no hurry to die. A meal, then. You're inviting me to the king's palace. It is my palace, too. How thoughtless of me. There's a beat of comfortable silence between them. My name is Luthien. My name is Baron. I know. Baron looks surprised. You already said. Baron puzzles, shaking his head, realizing his lapse. My mind is more lost than I am. <laughs> Did you think you would find it here in the woods? Perhaps. And you thought a strange elf princess would help? Yes, though I, I've met so many elf princesses, it's hard to keep track. Luthien laughs. No, 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 don't, don't be embarrassed. You're easily the, the third most memorable. She laughs harder. Nearly second. Very nearly second. Shall I compare you to all the elves of my travels? I would hate to embarrass them all. Oh, I'm sure. Pull out as they enjoy each other's company. That, <laughs> that sounds weird. Uh, the camera pulls out as they enjoy each other's company. Uh, the music and dancing continue into the night. 
Exterior, woods, morning. Uh, fade to the group hiking through the woods. Baron walks backwards ahead of the group telling stories, inaudible. So, you know, we see it, but we don't hear it. Um, he trips over a branch and they keep walking past him, laughing. He scurries to his feet. Luthien smiles at him. Exterior woods. Day. Uh, the ground steeply drops off. A felled tree leans against the ledge and over a small brook below. Luthien nimbly slides down the tree and over the brook. Baron slides down, losing his balance toward the end. Luthien grabs his hand. They share an electric moment as she helps him to dry land. He mouths, Thank you. She smirks and winks. Um, should that wink stay in there? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Daron laughs and slides down the trunk. Baron tosses a twig onto the tree, and Daron slips into the water. Everyone laughs. Luthien looks at Baron. He saunters away, smiling. That should be a little descriptor. Looks at Baron, surprised. He saunters away, smiling. Exterior, woods, evening. The group sings and dances again, this time with Baron dancing along. Luthien watches him fondly. Daron watches her, concerned. Exterior, Menegroth, day. Baron and Luthien trail behind the others. They are close and personal. The group at last steps out of the woods. Baron looks in awe at Menegroth, an enormous forest hill with a concave stone face and a finely crafted inset gate. Impressive. No easy feat for a man of my experience. Have you ever seen an elven city before? I've spent many nights in Nargothrond. Daron sneers. The halls of Felagand are a rich king's attempt to mimic a wise one. Is it not wise to mimic something great? The elves all laugh. Dayron is annoyed. Well, Nargothrond is not quite as beauteous. Of course it isn't. Wealth and craft are no substitute for nature. This is the most wondrous place in Beleriand. Baron eyes Luthien. I didn't have to set foot in the city to know that. The group of friends coos at the flirtation. Luthien smiles bashfully. Many guards open the gate. They enter. Interior, Menegroth, day. Continuous shot. Uh, the overgrown and cavernous city is lit by massive skylights and bl blue glowing plants. Buildings are crafted to match the shape of the cave. Roots and vines suspend bridges. Waterfalls pour from the ceiling into lush pools. Welcome to Menegroth. Have you ever seen anything like it? Bustling people cheerily greet them. They walk to the far back of the city towards an intricate palace carved from stone. Luthien, Baron, and Daron climb the stairs as the others leave. Beleg, a silver-haired guard, greets them. Maid Luthien, your arrival is later than the king anticipated. She continues walking. And the queen? Right on time, my lady. Um, Beleg comes back in the other movies. I should actually figure out a voice for him. I'm probably not going to read the other movies on here. You're welcome. Uh, so, <laughs> so Baron follows Luthien past Beleg, shrugging in awkward confusion. Beleg exchanges the look. He and Daron follow. Interior, Thingol's Palace, Sunset. Uh, should this be... Should be a scene break here. Cut to Interior, Thingol's Palace, Sunset. Dayron plays music as Thingol, Melian, Baron, Luthien, Beleg, and Mayblung, the chief guard, sit around a huge wooden table for supper. So in the prologue last month, uh, Thingol and Melian were the elf and the spirit that met and fell in love in the woods. Cool. Uh, that's, uh, that's Luthien's mom and pop. So, uh, Baron is courteous, but eats more heartily than the elves. Thingol eyes him closely. I take it the life of a vagabond doesn't provide ample food. Baron, son of Barahir. Father. I eat well, King Thingol, thank you. I'm a skilled hunter. Uh, rabbits and goats are easy targets compared to an orc. Baron takes another bite. One might think you'd never seen a hot meal before. I may hunt well, but my cooking is atrocious. This seasoning alone is just... Mm. Mm. Highest compliments to your cooks. <laughs> I must have dropped the last of my salt at Thangorodrim. Uh, Melian and Luthien smile. Beleg and Meblung raise their eyebrows. You fought at the Battle of Sudden Flame. I was young, but yes. That certainly explains why the Siege of Angband failed. Father! Thingol shrugs her off with his eyebrows. Uh, indeed, since I don't recall seeing the armies of Doriath there. Baron! Melian says. Where do your travels take you now? Her question diffuses the tension. Beleg is amused by the awkwardness. I'm not sure... One man can only do so much against Morgoth. You are very brave to try. 
Perhaps I'll see all the great elf kingdoms in Beleriand. I've seen the halls of Felagund and Nagothrand. Now, Menegroth. Perhaps next I'll fancy a stay in Gondolin. Everybody chuckles. Except for Thingol. The Hidden Kingdom does not welcome visitors. Baron smirks over this for a moment. That's the joke. Though I did think it a myth. Now I've got something to look for. He raises his wine in, in a mock toast of thanks. Everybody chuckles again. Baron, even you could not find Gondolin. I know my way around. You could always join me. Luthien smiles awkwardly. Baron is disappointed that she doesn't take him seriously. They both look down at their food. Dayron's lute playing falters. Thingol is surprised. Dayron, does something trouble you? Luthien tenses up. No, your highness. Luthien relaxes and the, and the music resumes. The music stops again. Yes, your highness. Luthien tenses up again. Dayron, no. I believe that Sir Baron is courting Maid Luthien. A slight commotion amongst the guards. Thingol looks displeased. Beleg says under his breath, Well, that much was obvious. Jealous prick. That was Luthien saying jealous prick. At last, your presence to my halls makes sense. Presence to? What? No, presence in, my dude. What are you doing? At last, your presence in my halls make in my halls makes sense. Our halls. My halls. Luthien is annoyed. Master Baron, I've no doubt you're of great stock amongst your people. But the elves of Doria hold each other to higher standards. Father, you cannot hold him to the standards of elves. He is brave and kind and... Baron is offended. Thingol interrupts. I will hold Baron to whatever standards I choose. I do not give permission for this courtship of my daughter by someone lesser. He resumes eating. Baron looks furiously at Luthien, then Thingol. I don't recall asking for it. Thingol stops eating again. A king's word is not an opinion. There is an army of elves in this great city that stand between you and Luthien. <laughs> That's all well and good. Better to loose an army against me than the demon and Angban pillaging the whole world. Thingol is angered. Everyone else is shocked at Baron's brazen tone. The people, trees, and wealth of Doriath are safe. That is all that matters. <laughs> the miserly king reveals himself. I know it's hard to see the world from your lavish cave, but man is not the enemy. The greatest among mortals would not be welcomed by my family. Never mind a wandering fool. You would only respect you would only respect man if he lived longer than a piece of gold. Nay, I respect the deeds of men heartily, slain by the brutality of time. How noble! It's a pity our spirits will not meet again in the halls of Mandos. Maybe it's true that elves are more capable than men because your arrogance is astonishing. If you can do anything, an elf may. Prove yourself and do us one better. Fetch me a Silmaril from the crown of Morgoth, and you may be considered my daughter's equal. Thingol sneers, feeling superior. Some nervously chuckle. Baron and Luthien are silent. All right. Everybody chuckles, even Luthien. Baron is deadpan. Thingol smiles as the laughter slowly fades. A beat. His smile drops instantly. You're serious? Yes. No, he's not. You mad fool. No living thing can face Morgoth. He's invulnerable. I wouldn't expect you to understand since you've never fought against him. Baron, please. I have a kingdom and a people to protect. It is paramount that... Baron loudly tosses his silverware on the table. No, you're right. I am a nameless wanderer, and I amount to nothing. Thank you, wise King Thingol, for giving me a place to go. Baron stands and quickly leaves the room. Awkward silence. Father, I've never seen you behave so childish. Childishly. Mm, don't like it as much. Whatever. No sane person would take such a quest seriously. What if he's harmed? When will I see him again? Luthien, my dear, I must protect. It's no excuse! Luthien, you doubt him too. We all see it. We could have a pleasant meal if you chose your friends more thoughtfully. How telling that you care more about pleasant meals than lives. She angrily stands. Melian places a hand on her shoulder. I will go. Thingol, Luthien, mend this rift. We have all, perhaps, drunk too much. Thinkle glances at his empty wine glass, raising an eyebrow. Luthien chugs the rest of hers. Melian exits. Cut to exterior Thingle pal Thingle's palace night. 
what the hell did I type here? Oh, oh, I thought it said quest. It says guest. Baron's guest room overlooks the palace gardens. Moonbeams and waterfalls pour in through the skylights. He packs his things. Melian enters. You must forgive the king, Baron continues packing. He's not accustomed to people speaking so boldly. He's not used to much of anything outside these walls, is he? Melian smiles, as if conceding the point. She pauses and watches him. You truly plan to steal a Silmaril? Yes. Why? Baron aggressively ties off his pack, sighs and speaks in an unsure tone, rationalizing his plan. <sighs> I hate Morgoth. That's a given. I have allies in Nagathrond. Perhaps this is just what I need. You feel for Luthien. He pauses to think. Yes. I don't know. I like her more than I hate Morgoth. It is a new feeling. Melian smiles. Man and elf have never courted one another. He stops packing. You're, you're not quite an elf, are you? I am a Maya, a spirit in service of the Valar. When the elves first journeyed west, Elu Thingol and I met in the woods, much like you and Luthien. Hard to imagine why you would stay. To love a single thing, a single person, so much. It was a new feeling. Baron leans against the wall and ponders this. You sound less sane than I do. You know that, right? Luthien does not require a Silmaril for her heart. What will you gain from this? A race of men is short-lived. I will die long before the king decides to take a stroll through his own woods. Melian looks at him with sympathy. He holds back tears. I don't know what I'm meant to do. Perhaps I can prove my kind is worth more than an elf may think. Luthien does not doubt your spirit. She believes I'm less than elves. He shrugs and fingers Barahir's ring. She could be right. Their hair, it's, it's always so much silkier. I don't know how they do that. Luthien has lived a different life. She has not seen the world as you and I have. Well, whose fault is that? You believe Thingol's seclusion makes him a coward? He shrugs. There is strength and safety. A reckless king would bring death to his people. I do not begrudge the king who he is. Maybe I envy what he has. Whatever you feel, remember Thingol does not choose whom Luthien loves. Had I been wandering at the dawn of time, I would have stayed with you too. Melian laughs. You are very wise and very kind. I wish to see all the world's children safe. Baron walks towards the balcony. Will you not say goodbye to Luthien? I will, in time. He hops over the balcony and slides into the gardens below. I know you will. Exterior, Menegroth, night. Baron walks to the edge of the woods and looks at the full moon. He stops, takes a deep breath, and looks at his ring. This is the stupidest thing you've ever done. He looks at the woods. He puts up his hood and runs east into the trees. Pan up over Menegroth's massive, moonlit hills. One tree at the top of the hill stands taller than the rest. End of Act 1. So yeah, that's uh, that's what I've got for this. Couple things in there I still uh, might want to change, but um, yeah, I guess this is just to kind of set up those characters. Maybe you can see what I mean about how um, how there are different attitudes between uh, elves and men. Hope like trying to capture some of that. It's it's kind of just racism and classism. It I, I don't know that it's so explicit in the books, but it's uh, there's. I don't know, even in Lord of the Rings, there's a tension between elves and men at times, and, excuse me, and how they treat each other, um, but, uh, the Thingol being a dick, the way that he goads Baron on, that's 100%, like, straight out of the books, so, um, I don't know, I felt like this was, this is how you start to show that relationship, um, also, I think in the books, the idea that, um, that Thingol just simply says, mocks him and says, get a Silmaril. In the book, Spare just says, okay, I'll do it. And then he goes on this valiant quest. Um, and you'll kind of see how it unfolds. But I was always looking for ways to kind of break that idea down because it's such, to me, it's kind of a dumb fairy tale idea that he would just do that. Uh, and I think that the tension between men and elves and like the insecurities in Baron uh, would be a believable motivator for that. And uh, so I'm going to, so for next month, I'm going to read Act 2, which uh, sets up a lot more stuff, gets into some more characters and, and things. But um, but yeah, that's that's sort of the start. Just kind of a fun little adventure movie. 
Um, don't know how the dialogue sounds to other people. Also, it's me doing all the voices, so <laughs> whatever. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm working on. That is Act 1 of my proposed script for The War of the Jewels. Um, uh, I'll be back again first Monday of next month with one more episode. Uh, it is currently what Laura and I plan to be the last episode where she is away, but obviously uh, we will have to reevaluate based on circumstances because, you know, there's a baby in the mix. Um, but for those of you who are enjoying these episodes, well, I'm glad you're enjoying them. Uh, for those sticking around, whether you enjoy them or not, uh, thank you for sticking around. Um, I know it's sort of weird and not really what uh, we originally set out to do with this project, but um, here I am uh, giving Laura what she demanded uh, in her pregnant rage. <laughs> See, that's the kind of shit I could say if she was here. Ha-ha! Maybe this is a good thing. Uh, no, but seriously, um, love Laura very much. I'm glad she's doing well and that the kid's doing well. Her and Charles are uh, very fortunate and very happy, and I'm very happy for them. Um, for you guys listening, again, be back in a month. First Monday of September will be another uh, episode of me chiggity-chatting, trying to get some more stuff out of Laura, reading Act 2 of The War of the Jewels. And uh, until then, I'm still going to try to post some of that stuff to Instagram. The consent issue is being evaluated. But uh, yeah, uh, HousePod is where you're going to find that. You can also just check out our website. It'll have all the links at podfriend.pizza. Real easy website to remember. Go to podfriend.pizza. Uh, you'll be able to see the post there. Check it out. Um, yep, I'm a little tired now. And I'm going to go start doing the work that I have to do for my tit job. So that's pretty fun. Uh, Thank you so much. Love you, Laura. Love all of you out there. uh, And I will talk to you soon. How You Doing is a Common Geeking Program production starring Laura Becker and Colin Ketchin with editing and original music by Colin. You can learn all about the show at the website podfriend.pizza. It has everything you need to listen and to learn about the pod friends themselves, and it's an easy place for new listeners to jump on board. If you enjoy the podcast, reviews and ratings are the best way to show it. Tell a friend, share your favorite episodes, and remember to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. We'll talk to you again the first Monday of every month, so be sure to stay in touch. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.